0: Would you take a Bible that you brought or your device or we have some Bibles in the chairs in front of you and turn it to the Old Testament book of Isaiah 53, the last three verses of Isaiah 53 and you can also find those verses on the back of the bulletin if you got one when you came in and more than likely if technology works, you'll also see some on a screen behind me. If you're just joining us, meaning you weren't with us the last few weeks, we are slowly working through an ancient song in the book of Isaiah which began in chapter 52 verse 13 Isaiah 52:13 and ends with the last verse of chapter 53 and we finish it this morning it is a song of prophecy it's predicting the future 700 years before it had been fulfilled by a son of a carpenter a man born in Bethlehem from the town of Nazareth, born of a virgin, and the son of the living God. This is a song of songs, a suffering song, a song about a suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is 20 years since the Iraq war began and i'm thankful for those that have served and there are some in this room that have served or there are family members in this room who have had children that have served and i'm so thankful for their sacrifice their suffering it was significant i recently picked up a magazine about this 20 year anniversary of the beginning of the iraq war and article after article, testimony after testimony, some soldiers, some reporters, some in politics, writing about commentary about the aftermath of this war. Some saying it was successful. some saying it wasn't at all successful. Some saying it was it was this, and some saying it was this. And like all wars, as it reflected, it reflected on suffering, significant suffering. Thousands of, li- we don't, thousands of lives lost, of, of American lives lost, not, not counting many other countries, 32,000 at least recorded as injured soldiers. And that's not to mention the impact of PTSD and other things that have impacted those that have served. And, and I was thinking of this as some were giving, this was successful and this wasn't successful. The, the topic of Easter, the reality of Easter, suffering, that's what we celebrated this last week, suffering Thursday night we gathered, Good Friday celebrates the death of Jesus Christ. And, and I, if you're like me and I think if you're like everyone, if you suffer... You hope that your suffering has some significance, that there will be some reward or success so that you could say, okay, there's suffering, but this suffering was, was worth it. The last three verses, and Jason mentioned them in his prayer, is a shout of declaration and praise that says the suffering of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, risen, in which we celebrate on Easter, was absolutely worth it. It was real, the suffering. It was significant, and it was successful. So let's look at these last three verses. Verse 10 The song says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Who's the him here? There's no question that the him in this this song is Jesus Christ, God's servant. The one who would act wisely. As the song began in chapter 52, the one who will be high and lifted up, who was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, one who was marred beyond human semblance. Let's keep going. Still in verse 10, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many. And makes intercession for the transgressors. Easter is resurrection day. And we declare he is risen. Yes he is risen indeed. We We know these truths of up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. He arose from what? He arose from death. Why? And what does that mean this Easter morning? This passage says... This passage these last three verses of Isaiah 53 says Jesus was crushed but victorious. Jesus is triumph triumphant and he is satisfied in all his labor. He suffered and was successful and he it was absolutely satisfying to his soul. So this morning I just I have three three points for you to take in, and I pray that you'll take it in, And whether you're sitting at Easter meal, or driving home, or reflecting on it to this day with someone else. You'll think about these facts, and it's these three realities. The fact of Jesus' suffering, the significance of Jesus' suffering, and the success of His suffering. Think about this, the fact of his suffering. It, the fact of his suffering is found in these last three verses. It's found in this entire song of all of chapter 53. It's prophesied that this man, this what's called the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus, he suffered. And these three verses, says, it says he was crushed, he was put to grief... He experienced the anguish of his soul, and he poured out his soul to death. There's suffering. We see that in all three of these verses, Christ suffered. And, and, and I could say to you, well, when did, he could, when did he suffer? Where do we start? And I'm just going to just touch on a few things. He suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that was the night He was betrayed. He had the Last Supper. He goes into the garden with some of his closest disciples. And he said, would you just watch with me? And would you pray with me? And as he got down on his knees and he cried out to the Father, he knew he was going to the cross. He knew that he needed to obey the Father. And he cried out. And it says in Mark chapter 14, and he said, my heart is sorrowful even to death. And he wept tears of blood and agony, that's when he suffered. When else did he suffer? He suffered by going through trial after trial, six trials from maybe 1 a.m. in the morning until 6 in the morning, some historians believe, as they track the record, as he went from one priest, Annas, and then Caiaphas, and then before the Sanhedrin, and then to Pilate, and then back to Herod, and then finally back to Pilate again. And, and they were all kangaroo courts. They were, they were a mockery of justice. They were hauling out false witnesses, and they were accusing him of things he never did, and they were accusing him of blasphemy. Is that when he suffered? Or this torture he suffered? You could... Watch The Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson as you just see a pictorial Hollywood version of the, the gruesome gore and torture that he experienced to the leading up of his crucifixion. It says in John chapter 19, they, Jesus, Pilate took Jesus and he flogged him. It says that Pilate scourged Jesus. And if you look into what that meaning, it meant that he they brutally whipped him, potentially with lashes that had broken had bone and metal that lacerated his body to the point where possibly organs and bones are exposed. Truly it was said that he was marred beyond human resemblance, or was it when he was crucified? Do I need to say more about this? The Romans knew that crucifixion was so cruel, so gross, that Roman citizens were not normally crucified. That was for slaves or others that are not Roman citizens. A spike driven through each wrist, and then your feet and ankles as you hung naked, stark naked on a pole, already Beaten and bloody and dying. Was that the suffering? Was it the suffering of Him on the cross as He cried out the words in fulfillment of prophecy and quoting Scripture, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was He just saying, Those words, because he was supposed to say that, or could it be that in that one very lonely moment, fully exposed to the world in human nakedness, bloody and broken and suffering, bearing sins, God turned away from him. God, in whom the Father, in whom they, the Father and the Son, have enjoyed absolute, unparalleled, joyful fellowship with one another for eternity, the Father turns away from Jesus because the wrath of God was going to come upon Jesus because Jesus was bearing the sins of sinners. The the fact is, Jesus suffered. We, we sit and enjoy luxurious Easter meals in America, candy and eggs and ham and cheesy potatoes and frosted sugar cookies that I just love in the shape of eggs, kind of. And yet Jesus Suffered so gruesomely, and we celebrate that he arose from that suffering. It was for a little while that Jesus was made lower than the angels, and he's now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, Hebrews 2 9 says. So that, by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. He died in order that He might taste death for you. He was despised and rejected by man, and we esteemed Him not. He bore our griefs and He carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken by God, afflicted. No one suffered like Jesus. Easter happened because Jesus suffered. But what was so important about his suffering? I want, I want, to, think, I want to point you to the significance of Jesus' suffering in these three verses. And, and they're just three, but there are so much more than this. Jesus' suffering was according to God's will. It was no accident. It wasn't in response. It was in just some plan B as Jason prayed. It wasn't that way at all. Look at the very first phrase of this verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. God purposed for good before the eternity, before the world was made all things happened by God's hand either by God's direct hand in work or by his allowing it to work it was God who was orchestrating all the events including Judas including Pilate including Herod including the Jews and the high priest and the rulers and the scribes all pointing their finger at Jesus it, they sinned and they were responsible, but in some mysterious way, it was the will of God working through the sinful actions of people to make this happen. He planned all of this and he had a purpose. Friends, just a side note, God plans all the things in our lives. Yes, we're human beings who make real just choices and we're accountable for those choices, but it, God in his gracious sovereignty is working all things And He plans things, and He plans even your suffering because He has a purpose, and He surely had a purpose in this. His will was being done. Literally, that word, God's will, it's God's pleasure. It was God's pleasure to crush Him. That sounds wrong. It sounds awkward. And it doesn't mean He took delight in crushing Him. But He was looking past that towards something glorious. It was significant because it was God's will. And secondly, it was significant because there was, there was none like him. He perfectly endured. There, it was so unique. It was so significant. He perfectly endured. He was the perfect sacrifice enduring. No one has ever suffered like him, not just because the pain was so bad. There was no one in the universe that has ever been innocent when they suffered. We might be suffering for something that we didn't cause, and we're innocent of a crime that we're being punished of, possibly. That could happen. But no, one, no human being other than Jesus was innocent. This passage says that he perfectly endured. He was willing and he was righteous. And it says here, his soul, verse 10, makes an offering for guilt. He wasn't just passively on the ride. He was actively doing what he needed to do. This thing was significant. His suffering was significant. Verse 10 says that the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand because he was acting wisely, It was in Jesus' hands, and he was willingly going to the cross. It says in the Gospel of John, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I lay down my life for my sheep. And it says so beautifully in verse 11 that by his, Jesus' knowledge, and I think it's Jesus' knowing what needs to be done, what is true wisdom and what's true success in God's eyes, and he lays his life down on the cross. It says, by his knowledge, verse 11, shall the righteous one my servant. And it says, we're going to get here in the last point, he will count many righteous. He is my servant, God says, and he is righteous. He's perfect. What was so significant about this suffering is not only was it God's will, but it was done by one who was completely innocent and perfect. And he perfectly endured it. And he did it willingly. He suffered on our behalf. It was fitting. It doesn't seem like it. But it was fitting that he, we all should have a high priest. This Jesus who would go before us. Who was holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. And now is exalted in the heavens. Peter says he committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth or his heart. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return, and he didn't. When he was suffered, he didn't threaten, but he kept entrusting himself to God, who judges rightly. The last thing I want to say about the significance of this suffering is that it was and is eternal, rewarding. It is. That's what really most of this whole last three verses of Isaiah 53 is about. It is eternally rewarding. The whole passage declares, it says, Jesus, my servant, is a success. Jesus, my servant, the righteous one, wins. It was worth it. Hallelujah. That's why we sing. That's why we gather. That's why for the last 2,000 years, the world has been turned upside down. That's why 11 minus 12 minus 1... With Judas out, 11, and then they added, and then it grew. These disciples who turned to the Lord Jesus, and they knew he was risen from the dead. They knew he won. They laid down their lives. They became martyrs, and it couldn't stop, and the church has grown, and the gospel has spread, and it has changed and transforming the world, and Christianity is not shrinking in spite of what people think. It's spreading and growing in all parts of the world, maybe not so much in America, it's it's actually starting to grow again because there's so many immigrants coming from other countries who are Christians and they're coming and because you can't stop what Jesus did it was successful I got it amen so that's the last point i want you to see it the fact of his suffering the significance of his suffering and the success of his suffering can i can i just can i just, can I just, can I just feed you with God's Word a, a pre-Easter dinner. And that is, to those who, you, those who are here this morning, if you're not a Christian, or you're saying, I'm just not sure about these things, I, w- I want to show you what this Christianity, this resurrection of Jesus, this what we call good news or gospel brings to you in the success of Jesus' suffering, and we see him in these three verses prophesied 700 years ago as he says, this is what's going to happen. He says, he had said that this was going to be successful at the beginning of the song. He said, my servant will act wisely. He's going to be high and lifted up, and many will be astonished, and kings are going to be astonished because he's going to sprinkle the nations. A A picture of with his blood, he's going to clean them. He's gonna draw them to himself. With great reward, it was worth it. And I, I want to give you, I want to just these aren't like long points, these are just more of like, here, would you just would you just bathe in these truths? If you're believers, I, I call you to just again believe in them and walk in them and take them to work this week and share them with your family. And and Look at all your difficult circumstances through these lenses that God is for you and is right now committed to you because of Jesus' success in his suffering. And so with, with that said, here are five beautiful, glorious realities of why it was successful or what he did. It says here in verse 11, look at 11. It says, out of the anguish of his soul... That's of Jesus' soul. He shall see and be satisfied. He's suffering according to the will of God, and he endures willingly, knowing he's going to see it's going to be worth it, And he'll be, "I'm satisfied. It was worth it. I'm glad I did it. I would This is what it was needed. So what is he satisfied in? Satisfied in what? One, Jesus' suffering provided a solution for our guilt and sin that was provided. A solution for our guilt and sin was provided. Verse 10 says, his soul makes an offering for guilt. You and I are born with guilt because of our sin, and we just keep collecting guilt Even if you don't feel guilty, you have guilt weighing upon you that must be taken care of. You can't wash it off. It is worse than being contaminated by any type of stain and you cannot get it off and there will be no way of getting off and you have to get it off if you're going to live in any joy. And his soul made an offering for our guilt to remove that guilt. Verse 12, it says, he bore... The sin of many. He was crushed for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was he took a punishment to bring us peace before God. We were like sheep going astray, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. You and I are guilty, and our guilt will drive us crazy and we'll go to hell. And you and I can never wash away that guilt. We can never take away our sins. We can never pay the debt. And it is the biggest problem everyone, anyone has. And only the success of Jesus' suffering can cleanse you from your guilt. That is what Jesus did. That's why it was so successful. Number two. He's satisfied not only that he made an offering for our guilt and sin, but this is just like two sides of the same coin. He counted sinners righteous. Look at verse 11. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, that's Jesus, my servant, Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous. You see, what Jesus did on the cross is for everyone who turns away from themselves and sees that He is the sacrificial lamb and trusts in Him. Not only do they it become He become the offering for their sin and their guilt and sin is removed, and, and then He it's, it doesn't leave them at ground zero or back to back to neutral, but we still got to do good because God's good, God's righteous. It says that. He, account, he makes many to be accounted righteous. What this means is not only are we just forgiven or no longer guilty, but we are declared positively righteous, not just a debt removed, but we are, we are given the righteousness of Jesus so that when God looks at us, he doesn't just look at us as, boy, we were so messed up, but we're forgiven, but we're still kind of in the doghouse, or we still have this track record, we still have a record. He looks at us and it's as though he sees the righteousness, the perfect holiness and righteousness of Jesus and looks on us with absolute favor and delight. That's because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the success of his suffering. Number three, I want you to see that he was satisfied that the redeemed, that's all who get saved, all who have been forgiven, all who get this righteousness, they share the fruit of His victory as family. You see verse 10, He says, He shall see His offspring. What is the offspring? The offspring is those that are made His family because of His work on the cross, His suffering. He shall see His offspring. Or verse 12, He says, Therefore, I will divide this is God talking about Jesus. I will divide the servant, him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. And what he's saying is it's, another, it's a poetical way of saying he will enjoy the spoils of his labor. He has won a victory, and that is to make a family together and all those that receive him are going to share in his victory And all his trophies and all his treasures are going to be passed out to a bunch of people that don't deserve it at all, but he makes part of his own. This is the glory of his success, of his suffering, and that matters to Jesus. Jesus is going to the cross because he desires to make a multitude of worshipers to be part of the family of God forever, and that family of God forever will enjoy the pleasures of being at God's right hand, enjoying the glory of God forever, and he wants us to be part of it because God will get more glory if we are there that and that's the success that's why Jesus is satisfied they're going to share in my spoils they're my offspring which leads to number 4 will it last forever i we know christianity says we live forever because Jesus rose again and lives forever Jesus is satisfied, number four, because eternal life is given to those who receive him. Eternal life is given to those who receive him. Verse 10 says, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. This is the one that died. And we saw that in verses 7, 8, and 9. He'll prolong a dead person's days. What does this mean? It means it's assuming that he rose from the dead, he is alive, and he's going to prolong his days. It's this idea that They're going to go on, and they're going to go on forever. At his right hand, there will be pleasures forevermore. He's going to keep his soul. And that's where we, as we go into the New Testament, we have this promise that he says, eternal life, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. If you believe in me, though you die, yet you shall live. And as Paul writes, the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Now, those are glorious things that Jesus is satisfied with that we would get the benefit from. We get the benefit from the last one i want to say is he doesn't stop ministering to us this the last phrase of this entire song says that he bore the sins of many he was numbered by the tra- with the transgressors he was bore the sins of many and makes intercession for transgressor- transgressors which means for rebels people that break the law of god he intercedes for them. He prays for them. He comes in between and makes it so that they can be saved and then continues to minister to them. You see, Jesus is a high priest and he has passed through the heavens and we have now a high priest if we receive Christ. He sympathizes with all our weaknesses and our sufferings, even our sins though he knew no sin. He sympathizes with us and he comes before the Father and makes our case based on what he has done for us. The success of his suffering. So how do we respond to these things? These, these glorious things. I have a guilt offering. My sins are paid for. I am forgiven. I am, I am made clean. And more than that, I am declared righteous. Counted righteous. And I get to be part of his family and enjoy all the benefits of his family. And it's going to go on forever forever. And in the meantime, He is interceding for me, and He prays for me, and He cares for me. All of these things. How should I respond to this? Oh, I beg of you, if you're not a Christian, would you respond to it, respond to it by believing, by, by taking hold of this and Trusting that these things are true. They've been changing people's lives for 2,000 years, and they can change your life if you believe on Him and ask Him to save you and to cleanse you. He will save you. He he is a generous and wide open Savior calling to you today to repent. That means turn away from yourself and turn to Him in faith. To all who are true believers, Worship Him. Trust Him. Hope in Him. Renew your resolve to be surrendered to Him, to give all to Him. Anything else is is folly. And so as we end this this morning service, we're going to end by singing. We're going to end by singing of His worthiness. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And... And I want to end, we're going to sing, He is worthy and Christ is our hope in life and death. And if, if the book of Revelation, the prophecy of Revelation as it speaks of a vision of seeing Jesus in heaven and all the multitudes and all the elders all coming to worship this person, they don't get over that he suffered. Because they label him as the lamb who was slain. And so let us, as we think of he suffered and it was significant and it was so successful. And I get to share in it. What must we do but we must sing of it. And it says, and I'm going to end with this passage of scripture and we're going to go into song. Oh God, would you hear, would you cause us to hear these words and lift up our hearts in believing faith. And to celebrate the Easter Easter truth and glorify your son, Jesus Christ. It says here in Revelation chapter five, and when he had taken the scroll and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense. This incense are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, you suffered, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped and all faith church said, amen. Let's say amen. 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 Let's sing.